Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 63, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today, I'm joined by Zach Farrenbaugh from The Hunting Public. We're talking public land whitetail strategies and catching up on The Hunting Public's crazy turkey season. So stay tuned. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And as always, joined by my dude from Iowa, Johnny Utah. What's going on, man? What up, brother man? Oh, man, just living the dream, dude. It's what we do. Dream living yeah, yeah. Here, here on the East Coast. How about you? L-I-V-I-N. <laughs> L-I-V-I-N, yeah. I'm living so hard, dude. I got to spell it without the G. Yes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So what's yeah. going on in Iowa, man? How are how are things treating you? So I know you you knocked a bird down. I think we talked about that the last time in Kentucky. Yeah, we did talk about that. And yeah. you are still on the hunt in Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? If, yeah, I guess you can call it that. Um, I've been slammed with work and haven't been able to get out and, um, and do much. Um, I've only been out... I think I went out one morning and one afternoon since I got back from uh, from Kentucky. But I did move a hay bale blind uh, the other day. It was like the most comical thing in the world. I wanted to move it about a thousand feet, maybe twelve hundred feet, to the other side of this alfalfa field. Mm-hmm. And so I had the misses with me, and I had a you know a hay bale blind. And my idea was we'll just each get on one side, put it on top of the bed rails you know, of the truck and just drive it across the field. Right. And Easy so enough. I've got my end lifted up and she's like, I'm trying, I'm trying. And she can't lift this thing any more than like two feet. So I'm after some quick contemplation, I'm like, there's no way I can lift this thing by myself. I mean, it's not that heavy, but it's big and awkward and you know, you're trying to balance it. And I'm like, I just can't do it. So I just rolled it 1200 feet across the alfalfa field. <laughs> 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 and, I worked up a pretty good sweat doing it, you know, right. um, but got covered it covered in ticks and everything else. But anyways, I got it rolled across, Dude. across the field, got it in position. And I think tomorrow afternoon and Saturday morning, I'm going to try to go out, uh, one last, uh, one last time, see if I can uh, fill another tag. Um, 
nice. you know, win place, uh, show order, uh, lose, whatever. Um, I'm going to call it, call it quits after that. Right. Nice. So is that the end of Turkey season here after this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. We end, uh, Sunday. Okay. Um, and last weekend I, I would have been able to hunt, but, uh, I was drilling soybeans all weekend. So this is, uh, this is the end. Yeah, this dude. Is, uh, it, it's time to get into deer season. Yeah, dude. I saw you had the big unit out, man. You weren't, you weren't fooling around with that thing, dude. So you, dude, I'm telling you. So, um, this is a, a, a plug, not a plug, or I guess it's, I guess maybe it's a plug. Right. <laughs> um, this company, RTP Outdoors, um, they're based out of Missouri, and I actually met these guys at a big lawn and landscape, like farm equipment garden uh, trade show that they hold every year in Louisville. It's called the GIE Show. And if anybody's into, you know, dump trucks and skid steers and like big, awesome equipment like that, um, it's a cool show to go to. It's a big international show. Um, I came across those guys there because their parent company, Genesis, does a lot in the lawn renovation and big landscape equipment. And so they, they got into doing these drills. Um, so I, I met these guys and became friends with them. And, and they actually, uh, I hooked up with them. Um, and they, they loaned me a unit for a week. Um, this thing is just Dude, it's it's the cat's meow of uh, of drills. It's nice. so awesome. Yeah, I I remember we spent a little bit of time at their booth at at ATA. Super cool dudes. Yes, yeah, you know, that's right. Yeah, I've never you know I've never personally used one. It's one of those pieces of equipment that whenever I see it in a magazine or if I hop happen to like peruse their their website, it's like I just kind of get stuck there daydreaming because I'm like, man, the plots I could make with one of those things. Um, but well, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I mean, and they make it's cool too because they make. I mean, you had a big unit, you know, big tractor, the whole the whole mm-hmm. nine doing, you know, doing your beans. But they make some smaller units, which is really cool. That are like, you know, ATV size, if I'm not mistaken, that you can use too. Yeah, they've got a three footer. Yeah, yep, they sure do, and it it's got like a wheel kit, so it, it, it's kind of an assist. Um, as we all know, it's easier to roll something than to drag something. So right. they do have like a wheel kit on that three footer. It makes it a lot easier. Now you still need a beefy quad or a yeah. beefy side by side, but it'll still you know you could it can be done you know yeah yeah because I know I've seen uh, Jeff Sturgis has used them in the past using just a quad and that was probably the first time I happened upon him was I knew that he was using one and I was like oh man that thing's slick um, yeah but, you know it's I I fantasize about having one of those. <laughs> But oh, I, me too. Yeah, I, 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 all I can do is borrow one. You know, <laughs> right? We're, um, we're on that borrow pay yeah, grade. I, I, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's like a uh, lot of stud money. You know, yeah. um, but it's worth every penny. That's the thing. I mean, it's um, you know my background a little bit is you know in, in that landscape uh, manufacturing industrial world and just the gauge of steel that's on that thing. Like mm-hmm. you, it's a lifetime piece. Like oh, it's yeah. a it's a piece you put in your wheel and you, you give it down to your children and your grandchildren, you know, yeah. like it's uh, it's not going away. So super awesome piece. It worked flawlessly, uh, simple adjustments for different soils. And, you know, um, the main reason why I wanted to go with that drill this year was the soils uh, in, in my area, not all of Iowa, but the soils in my area are really, really sandy. So coming from Kentucky, when I first moved here, my thought was, well, just disc everything up 
12, 12 inches, 14 inches deep. Yeah, yeah, that's what you got to do. You got to bust up all that clay on virgin ground. Right. Well, every bit of my dirt washed away in the next rain. Hmm. Um, and then with that kind of sandy soil, you don't get any moisture retention either. Right. So, um, cold packing is your friend. Mm-hmm. There's my, my tip of the day. Pro tip. Um, but, uh, <laughs> By basically just mowing everything down, spraying it with Roundup, um, and then drilling, I'm not disturbing the soil. I'm keeping moisture in. Um, you know, I, I'm eliminating a lot of those problems that I had. And, you know, Iowa, it's hit or miss, man. We can have some really wet years or some really dry years. So by not disturbing that soil, whatever water we do get, uh, I'm, I'm holding holding more of it because I'm not opening it up, uh, opening up that dirt and letting that sand do its thing and let that water drain right through. And, right. you know, yeah. So that's pl- the reason behind it. Nice. Cause you played hell last year with some, with some soybeans, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Well, I mean, you had a, a shit drought too. So you were kind of fighting both oh. ends of it. Dude, I was trying to bribe the fire department to come out and water my food plots. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yes. I remember we were talking to the yeah. one day 20, you're like, a $20 bill will not get it done. I can tell you that. <laughs> right. Again, <laughs> we are on that borrow pay grade. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> how many, how many, or how many acres of beans did you put in, man? Like that's, we did seven. So, okay. uh, I had a friend of mine, um, he had about an acre and a half on one of his pro- his leases. Okay. Um, we did about four, four and a half acres on a lease that him and I have together. Um, we did a, just a tick over an acre and a quarter uh, on one of my leases. Um, and then I did a half acre on my private property. And I know everybody says, oh, you can't, you know, that's not enough beans, you know, just a half acre. Well, that's not the only thing that's going in that plot. It's kind of right. an experimental plot this year, right. um, testing some new seeds, uh, testing some new stuff from Tecamani that's coming down the pipe uh, this summer. So uh, that's the reason why I went ahead and did that half acre field the nice. way I did it. Cool, man. Yeah, I uh, I did. A, this is a while, a little while ago. I did a little frost seeding, got a little Tecamani clover in, in the ground, but I haven't. Yeah. I haven't gotten into my full. Um, full throws of my food plotting yet this year. I think we've mentioned this on a previous podcast, but just as a, a refresher, you know, mine is going to be mainly all for the most part, fall food this year, which is something different than I've done in the past. I've always typically planted in the spring, but you know what I'm realizing, especially on my dad's piece being a smaller piece, you know, 60 ish acres. Um, and there's not, <clears throat> I'm not going to hold a lot of deer there per se, you know what I mean? So I'm more yeah. looking to try to make it ripe for, um, the right time of the year. So I'm looking more for fall food. And I know during the right time of the year, just from, you know, watching trail cameras last year there, even though I didn't hunt it, that I had the right deer on that property, you know, for, for Pennsylvania deer, I'll caveat it with that, um, on that property during the right time of the year. So I'm like, if I can just make it a little sweeten the, sweeten the spot just a little bit for him during that time of the year, then, you know, that's what I'm trying to do this year. So, um, and I'm not trying, I don't want to do too much because they're already kind of using it the way I would like for them to use it. So I'm also trying not to bust up their, their travel patterns and stuff like that. Cause I've, I got a beat on a couple of them and I'm real good for screwing myself. Cause I'm like, yeah, I want to plant food plots, you know? So, <laughs> so, I'm, oh I'm, yeah. Yeah. Know? So I'm, I'm, I'm good for doing that to myself. So I thought, uh, this is maybe one of the first times that I, I thought ahead and, and, and decided to not do that to myself and frustrate myself. But man, I've really been up to, I haven't gotten to get out 
turkey hunting anymore. Well, the weather's been kind of junk around here, uh, of course, but I've had, you know, same as you were kind of mentioning, I'm busy with work, uh, busy with, you know, I'm, I'm loading up on the house chores now. That way when fall rolls around, I'm, uh, I'm free <laughs> and clear, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I've, yeah. been, I've been doing a lot of insulation blowing, a lot of, a lot of mowing, a lot of fixing, a lot of those types of things. But what I've been doing a little bit of man is, is, uh, playing with my domestic beetles dude like those things are i know i think on this show i'd mentioned that i was thinking of getting a colony of beetles and i've i did get a colony of beetles and i kind of created a habitat for them so some of my weekends have been kind of you know figuring out ways and building ways to try to keep the uh the smell to a, a minimum for for the wife because she i uh i finally got the colony to a point to where they were ready to clean a skull and i put a skull in and let's just say when she hit the garage one morning for work um, cause they're kept in a garage. Uh, the, uh, her reaction wasn't pleasant. Let's just say, let's just say, let's just put it that way. I guess. <laughs> so I had to, do, I had to build some venting for that. Um, which I did, but man, they, I, they cleaned their first skull dude. So I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty pumped about that. That's cool. Yeah. That's so very, very cool. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I got a, I got a bear skull that I'll be doing here. I think next week going to be doing a, a turkey skull here in the near future. So they'll be primed and ready for the, uh, for the fall. And then the only other thing that I've been really kind of busy with, man, is I've been, I've been on the search for a puppy for my daughter. Cause that's happening. So and, yeah, yeah. I've, I, I, I told her, you know, probably a year ago, you know, I told her once we, we got moved into the house and stuff like that, that I would, she could get a puppy. And so she's of course not forgotten that. So she's been all over me about that. We've kind of got it whittled down to the breed we want to get. And, uh, and now she's just the, the full pressure's on. Cause I told her we'd wait till the uh, end of the school year. So she would be able to be home, you know, over the summer to help take care of it and stuff like that. So, you know, end of the school year is fast approaching. So I'm on puppy searching duty. And I think we've, we've finally whittled it down. We're getting, we're getting a lab is what we're going to get. So, um, anyone out there or even John, if you know any, anyone who has labs, I'm uh, I'm all ears on that. Um, yeah, I'll keep, um, you know what? It's somebody, somebody I know actually, let me think about this. I, it seemed like I did just see something that somebody had a couple of pups. Um, I tell you, if you want to get serious, um, about lab stuff, mm-hmm. and you ought to reach out to uh, my buddy Jeremy Moore, um, the dog bone guy. Oh yeah, I can uh, I can set up a set up an introduction there because he I know that he works with a lot. I, th- I think he works with several different breeders, you know, mm-hmm. that um, you know over the years, and he's made some contacts with a lot of people, and nice. obviously he. Uh, he picks the dogs that have a really good, uh, really good, you know, drive uh, for finding sheds and stuff and obedience. So, right, yeah. This, of course, will be it's a quote unquote family pet. However, I'm hoping to uh, be able to maybe teach it to do a little, maybe maybe shed hunting. You know, since I started doing a little little waterfowl hunting this winter, maybe it can teach it to do a little waterfowl hunting. That's all wishful thinking. Those are kind of like my, my hopes and dreams for the dog. We'll see. I, I will settle for it just to not piss and shit in the house though. We'll, we'll, start, <laughs> right. we'll start there. Yeah. As long as it doesn't pee and poop in the house, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. If we can make that not happen, that'd be rad. But those, yeah. And, or hump your leg. 
Yeah, yeah. That I would take over the over the cleaning up his 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 number twos. You know, like that's I could probably be okay with that once in a while if I just didn't have to. Pick just it. let him go at it every once in a while. Like, look, like, here's the trade off. Yeah. Don't poop in the house, but you can, you know. Yeah. You can dry hump the leg if you want. Yeah, exactly. I'll get you a teddy bear. Dude. Just go to town <laughs> on it. He's <laughs> like, whatever. Just do it in the other room. I don't want to watch. Oh, yeah. Man. This is uh, the, the, in, in Christmas vacation. <laughs> yeah. It's best just to let him go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. On that note, uh, we got a cool show uh, following, following cool. the, the dog dry humping. Um, we got a cool yeah. show with uh, Zach uh, Zach Farinbaugh from the Hunting Public. Super cool dude. Um, you guys out there listening have probably caught some of their turkey hunts. They've been hunting turkey all over the country, just going state to state, getting it after. I think they started like March fifteenth, and I want to say they're in. I think they're in Nebraska right now, if I'm not mistaken. And I think this might be one of the last one of the last states. So. Uh, Zach's a super cool dude. We talk some turkey hunting, of course, and then of course, you know, they do a lot of public land whitetail hunting all over the country as well. Um, you know, a little bit of his background is he and Aaron, who has been on the show previously, um, you know, used to work with Midwest Whitetail and Bill Winky, um, and kind of ventured out on their own. And they got a really cool platform doing everything public land, and they're really all about the community of the of the hunting public um, to a degree, and, and kind of bringing back that uh, that feeling of being in camp with guys and, and sharing hunts with, with guys and, and taking some of the competitive uh, competitiveness out of hunting that we sometimes get, you know, whether it's on social media or hunting shows or, or whatever the case might be. Um, these guys are kind of doing it a little bit different, um, which is super cool. And, and, and Zach's just a good dude, and, we, and he shares some really good stuff, really smart dude when it comes to scouting and stuff like that. So he shares some tips there for, for deer hunting. So, um, you know, really good, really good content. You guys should should enjoy it, and uh, looking forward to having him on. But before we bring Zach on and talk some hunting public, let's talk about our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. This past weekend had my Wicked Tree Gear sauce, not just for hunting. I was doing domestic duty with it around the house, so it's tough enough to hunt with, but for, but but workable enough for your your wife to put her to work with the with the bushes outside. So the longest lasting, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you've ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. Right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. We're also brought to you by Exodus Outdoor Gear. The new Exodus Trek is a byproduct of all consumer voices who have been excited about what Exodus trail cameras have to offer, but just can't fit a $200 trail camera in their budget, and that's all right. A budget-friendly trail camera backed by the industry's leading warranty is now here. The Trek costs $145 and is the same proprietary shell design as the Lift Series cameras, same five-year warranty and customer service, 0.7-second trigger speed, photo, video, time-lapse, hybrid modes, and all with a single lit or a single line backlit LED display for easy setup. You also get about 20,000 pictures with a set of lithium batteries. If you'd like to learn more about Exodus trail cameras, check them out at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you like what you see, save yourself 20 bucks and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout. We're also brought to you by Tecamani Seed. No matter if you're in the South, Midwest, or the Northeast, Tecamani has your food plot needs covered. Visit tecamani.com and check out their product selector tool to help pick the right seed for your needs. Also be on the lookout for new products, as John had mentioned, coming down the line here in the summer. Use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save 20% on your purchase. 
And we're also brought to you by Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, or fishing, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com, promo code TRUTH, and save yourself 20%. Also, be on the lookout for some new products coming later this summer. And without further ado, let's get Zach on the line. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I am joined by Zach Farinbaugh. Many of you out there listening probably are not strangers uh, to, to him and his work. He is part of the Hunting Public crew, which has been on quite the turkey escapade uh, since the beginning of spring here. And of course, getting after monster whitetails, doing it all on public land all across the Midwest. Uh, Zach, how you doing, man? I appreciate you joining. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, you bet. So I know you and I were catching up just a little bit yesterday, dude. Did you get some? Uh, did you get some well-needed uh, rest and sleep last night? Oh yeah, definitely did. Nice. Catching up a little bit on sleep for the one day off here before uh, we head to Wisconsin for the next journey. So right, nice. So you're headed to uh, how many guys are going to Wisconsin? The whole crew or? Uh, I think everybody, but I think Brody's except for Brody. Brody's going to Nebraska to hunt his brother. Nice. Yeah. Get a little, get a little family time in. So like I mentioned, oh, yeah. Good. yeah, for sure. Like I mentioned on the upfront, man, you guys, you know, you're of course part of the, the hunting public and you know, that was, uh, I think it was something that was well needed in the, in the space, you know what I mean? As far as showing dudes that hunt like most everybody else. I think a lot of times when we get to some of these TV shows and, you know, even web shows to a certain degree, um, it's not really attainable for, for a lot of dudes. So I think what you guys are doing really cool, but for those that might not be as familiar with you and, and what you guys are into and stuff like that, if you wouldn't mind, just give me a little bit of background about yourself, you know, where you're from, uh, where you live now and what you do professionally. Um, from Ohio originally grew up in Northwest Ohio and then hunted anywhere from there all the way to Eastern Ohio. My grandpa has some property in Eastern Ohio and there's public land around there. And then went to college in Southeast Ohio where there's tons of public land. And ever since I was in, I don't know, early high school, really had an interest in filming and, you know, trying to, you know, kind of go pursue that career. The only thing that I've ever really been extremely interested in was hunting. Never really been very good at anything else, I guess. I mean, I liked sports when I was younger, but you know, that goes away. And when that went away, I knew that I needed to try to find something to, to, uh, you know, allow me to get out in the woods as much as possible. And right out of college, I landed an internship with Midwest Whitetail and moved to Iowa and then worked there for a couple of years. And then, um, just recently, uh, I guess we started this this new new deal called the hunting public and really our main focus was um to just you know relate to you know everyday hunters as much as possible and keep it about the group aspect because we feel that uh you know that was a big deal for us always growing up was you know hunting with our dad hunting with our grandpa hunting with our buddies going to deer camp turkey camp whatever it may be and and you know really enjoying that social aspect of hunting you know it wasn't just about to us growing up it wasn't you know a competition it was just going out and having fun with your buddies that was the main goal you know at the end of the day it didn't really matter who got the biggest buck or most turkeys or whatever it was about to you know just having fun with your friends and and that's really our main i guess our main goal with this new 
journey that we're doing is just to try to relate to people and, and keep hunting fun. You know, that's what it's all about. Right. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing I definitely take away when I watch you guys' videos, whenever uh, you kind of touched on it there, where there's a lot of competition that seems to seep into to hunting, especially when you, you start turning the, the corner toward whitetails and, and stuff like that. And, oh, yeah. You know, and it's nice, you know, you guys, I, I read a comment somewhere, I don't remember if it was on social media or where it was, but someone was just commenting on how genuine the enthusiasm is whenever one of you guys, you know, kill a big buck or, or I know you guys look at long turkeys, you know, instead of like beards and spurs <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, and, you know, you'll kill one and, you know, your buddies will flip out whenever, you know, you kill one and whenever you kill one, it's like they're freaking out whenever you do. And it's like, you guys are calling each yeah. other, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you just hope that people don't forget that, that part of yeah. it. I mean, every one of us, man, it's like, as soon as you kill a nice deer or a nice turkey or whatever, it's like the first thing you do is you pick up the phone and like, at least I do, I go in my mind, like who are the first 10 people I'm going to call, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean? Right. You know? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and it's and it's nice to be able to kind of share those things. I mean, I remember, you know, I arrowed the one deer in Ohio there. I guess it was two years ago, and you know, I, I mean, I heard the deer crash. I didn't get out of my stand. You know, it was like one of the first times I probably ever did it right, where I sat in my stand and just waited. You know, put my time in, just kind of give him time. And mm-hmm. I, mean, I probably called fifteen people before I ever set foot on the ground. You know what I mean? I was like, I just killed the biggest deer I've ever killed. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. and I just lost my mind. You know, it's like I called my wife. She yeah. was at work. You know, and she doesn't even care. She's like, you did, you did. Right. That's, that's great, honey. I'm glad. You know, it's like, but I still yeah. have to call and tell her too. You know what I mean? So I think that's yeah. super cool that you guys kind of make sure to to bring that in, man. And it's funny, man, because I when I watch you guys, it's like you don't see you won't see dudes get more geeked out than you guys do whenever you, when you, when you harvest and when you, when you wrap a tag around something, that's for sure. Which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's part of the fun for us is just the group celebration. You know, it's not, can't really put enough stress on that. It's just always been, I guess for all of us, you know, when we, you know, you, you everybody goes through different phases of their career and they, you know, there was a point when we were all sitting there and we we're like, you know, like the best thing that we've done is hunt with our friends and, family growing up and you know once we all moved away from our friends and family it was like we found this little group of guys here that you know is we're all interested in the same stuff and you know it's just been been our main focus you know yeah through all the phases everybody go kind of you know goes through and hunting you know mm-hmm. like at the end of the day it's all about having fun with your friends because you know when you're dead Nobody's going to care how many inches of antler you scored. Right. Hate to break it to you. Yeah. <laughs> breaking, breaking news here on the Truth From the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. Zach, keeping it real where you're going to be worm food at some point. No one's going to give a shit about how big that deer was. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. That's awesome. Exactly. That's awesome. I mean, I, I wish, I mean, hey, look, you know, I, I'll never turn down the opportunity to arrow a nice deer, you know, but. I, no, me either. Me but, either. I will say that. Yeah. But the thing that. is, is like I had, you know, I talked about it a little bit last year during the show where I had this particular deer I was hunting that I had watched him for two years and last year would have been the third year. And I, I told myself I was going to kill him on opening day if I had the right weather. And sure enough, I saw him and just, he had a, he, I didn't expect him to be bachelored up. And, you know, it was one of those things he was bachelored up in a, a younger deer got spooky and turned around and he followed him out and he was behind some brush at 30 mm-hmm. yards. And I just could never get a shot. And I was a little, you know, I was a little ticked about it to be honest with you. You know what I mean? It's like, I wasn't happy, sure. with, happy with the outcome, you know, and that deer was kind of driving me nuts to where it's like partially it wasn't making 
things fun anymore because I was kind of stressing out about it. And, you know, yeah. and so the, when I ended up killing the deer I killed last year, I went on like a buddy, a buddy's place. It was like three, three acres that butted up against uh public ground. And I'd hunted that mm-hmm. public in the past. And it's just a small little, you know, plot of ground that his, his family has. And he's like, why don't you just come out here and hunt, you know, this weekend. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, I hunted it one day late season the year before. Um, and so mm-hmm. I went out there and I, I forgot everything. Like I forgot my camera and I won't belabor the story because other <laughs> folks have heard this, but it's like, I left my camera at home and I didn't turn around to get it. I was like, screw it. I went to hang my tree stand, you know, and I hung, it was the worst hang, the worst set I've ever hung in my life. It was completely crooked. You know, I was, get, <laughs> I was getting up in the tree and I was pulling my bow up and like my, my, my tow rope got caught on my arrows and it ripped all the arrows out of my quiver except for one. And I get up there and I'm like a sweaty mess and I get in the tree stand and I'm just like, this sucks. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, I'm probably not going to see any deer. All my arrows are at the bottom of the tree. You know, it's just like, I was like, whatever. And so I'm sitting there and I told myself, I was like, you know what? I just need to stop stressing about this stuff and I just need to start going hunting again. And, and I told myself in that moment, I was like, if I see a deer that makes my heart pound, I don't care how big it is or how small it is. If it's legal, I was like, and it makes my heart jump. I was like, I'm going to arrow it if I can, if I get a shot. Sure enough, like two hours yeah, later, this, yeah. this, you know, rack PA eight point jumped out. He's not, not a huge deer by any stretch of the imagination, but it got me excited. He presented a shot at eight yards, arrowed him and I was super pumped and it just, man, it turned things around for me. Just like my whole mindset, just that one hunt like that changed my whole outlook on, you know, how I approach, how I approach things. Cause last year was a, you know, for me, it was a little grueling, you know, I did a Montana hunt, you know, didn't arrow anything, had some nice bulls that we had seen and stuff like that. So it was just one of those things where I was really putting a lot of pressure on myself. And it's just nice. Yeah. You guys have that show and that platform where it's like, you know, I'm sure you guys want to arrow big deer and I know that you guys do, but it's more about all the things that kind of surround that. Yeah. Actually, my dad gave me the best, they're very similar. Like, you know, it told me a tip a long time ago and it's like, Hey, as soon as everything goes wrong, that's when something goes right. So don't get too worked up about anything. You know, a lot of days, and honestly, a lot of days I'd go into hunts when I was a kid, you know, and then I learned the same thing that, you know, pretty much have gone through the same thing you have. You know, right. some of my best, you know, kills have been on a day where it's like, I have no hope. I'm sweaty. <laughs> I'm mad. You know, I had something, you forgot something, whatever. It's like, you can't get too worked up at the end of the day. I mean, it's just, it's just, well, I mean, yesterday, Jake and I went turkey hunting and, uh, we were set up on this bird that I've literally been, been, been keeping me up at night because of what he's doing. He was going flying down and he was standing on the edge of a lake and not moving, but about 50 yards all morning. And hmm. some Jake's came in and looked like they ran him off while he just looped around and came right to us. And at the time the Jake's, you know, had run him off. And that was the last thing I knew. And I was sitting there all bummed out and all of a sudden there he's at the decoys. So <laughs> You know, as soon as you get down, you know, that's when you got to keep your, you just got to keep grinding and keep your focus because, you know, you never know when things are just going to change. It may change in that day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll happen, it'll happen in two seconds. You know what I mean? That's the crazy, that's, mm-hmm. cra- that's the crazy part about it. You know, so oh, that, yeah. that's a good segue, man. I want to talk a little bit, you know, about, about turkey hunting. I know. So look, I guess, let me ask you this, man. How many states have you guys hit so far this turkey season? Oh, um, so we went, we started in Alabama and we went to Mississippi from there. We went home for a little breather and we went to Oklahoma and then, um, Greg, Aaron and Jake hunted Nebraska and I went to Ohio and then 
Missouri. I was in New York for a little bit, and then Iowa, and then we're going to Wisconsin tomorrow. So, however many that is. (laughs) (laughs) My my plus one's not too good right now, but that's a a lot. I had my my fingers out, and I got over five. (laughs) Got out of control. Over five, I just stopped, yeah. Anything, Anything after Wisconsin, or is that the end of the road for you guys? Um, I, I'm not, I can, I can never put anything, you know, for sure, say anything for sure, but I would say that's probably going to be wrapping it up for this year. Right. Um, sadly, because I was just telling Aaron, it's like, dude, I'm addicted. Like I, I need to go do other things in life, but at the same time, like I don't, I'm not ready. And you'd think, you'd think starting on March 15th, you know, right. we'd be burnt out, but like, man, we're just itching to go again. It's like, right. it's kind of crazy. You know, a lot of, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, I guess, if it's, if it's somebody else's thing. But, like, I love deer hunting. But I also love turkey hunting, and I also love chasing fish. So, right. you know, it's like I just love the outdoors. And once, I, once I'm on something for a little bit, it's like I have a hard time stopping until you get a little taste of the next. But, right. yeah, I would say once we're done with Wisconsin, then I'll start thinking about doing a little bit more fishing. I think we're going to do, um, do a little bit of fishing this summer and try to get some of that up on our youtube channel as well just to nice just to uh you know kind of change the pace of things you know we all love we all love the outdoors so right just any way to get out and do something is it's a good excuse i guess so right yeah and for anyone out there listening that that isn't aware the hunting public youtube channel these guys have been chasing turkeys all spring long in a bunch of different states trying to trying to fill tags and it's been you know really really cool to watch what kind of what kind of spawned that was that just something where you guys were like hey you know what we should just go to like every state and hunt turkeys or was there like an idea behind it or was it really just like you know what we should just hunt a bunch of states well in the past um well specifically last year aaron and i um when we were still doing spring thunder um we had traveled oh i don't know probably five states last year i think we did mississippi uh, Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, and Wyoming last year. So we, okay. you know, we we're, you know, that kind of got our, piqued our interest of just traveling. And we really enjoy that aspect of going to a different state, trying to figure it out the whole process as a team, you know, kind of figuring something out. And then this year, you know, it was just no question. Like we had to try it. We decided like, Hey, even if we run out of money, like <laughs> we're going to do it because this is what, you know, this is, I don't know, I guess, uh, for one, what we want to do, and for two, we feel like to travel and hit as many different states as possible is a way to keep it relevant to viewers, you know, for right. hunting public land, and hopefully, you know, your state, mm-hmm. for example, like anybody's, any viewer's state, then, you know, we're, we're living what they're living, you know, and that's right. our main goal is to kind of put ourselves in the viewer's shoes, because I guess... If we're all going to, you know, we're always saying we want to learn as a group, us and the viewers, you know, helping each other as a a hunting community, I guess. Right. And and we're not, we don't feel like we're going to do that if we just hunt our, just hunt our home state. Right. Yeah. I hear you. So speaking of learning, you know, what was, uh, was there anything that I guess that you would have, that you've learned um, that you didn't expect to during the, the, the turkey hunts over the spring? Um, yeah, I'm sure there's a, about a million things, <laughs> right, but right. I think, I think the one thing that is really interesting is, 
and, and one thing I'll point out is every state is different and every region of every state is different. Not huh. one county is exactly the same and not definitely not one state is exactly the same. You know, some places have more pressure. Some places have more turkeys. Some places have more turkeys different years. For example, I went to Ohio this year and I've hunted Ohio for my whole life. It had more turkeys in it this year than any other year because there was a cicada hatch two years ago. So oh, wow. okay. the number of two-year-old birds were thick, you know. So there's right. a lot, lot of turkeys. And, you know, there's no, there's not a lot of, like, real set rules in turkey hunting, I guess. So we're in one state. You know, your late season may be the best time to hunt. Other states, the first week may be the best time to hunt. Right. And some states, you know, the first couple of weeks, you're hunting totally hen-up birds and aren't gobbling. And then, you know, the, the next state you go to the first week is on fire. Mm-hmm. And then, like here in Iowa, we always say right now is the best time frame. I mean, we just stacked them up in Iowa this past week. <laughs> but, you know, I've, in my past experiences hunting Ohio, you know, by the end, you're struggling because the pressure is heavy. You know, people are keeping, you know, getting those birds pretty educated at that point. And, mm-hmm. you know, the vegetation's different and the season time frame is just different. Everything's different in every state. So I would say that's the biggest thing I've learned traveling a lot is like, there's not a ton of, you know, like things that are set in stone, I guess. Is right. Every spot's different. Every, even every piece of public land's different. I mean, I've hunted, specific areas and this is two different places in Mississippi, several different places in Ohio, several, several different places in Iowa and from place to place, piece of public to piece of public, whatever it may be, they're all different. And, and, you know, it's just little things can make a big difference, I guess. And, uh, just, yeah, I guess that's the biggest thing for me. And don't get discouraged if you're a turkey hunter and you know, you're not seeing the same results in the same time frame or the same results, the same tactics. Everything just varies so much in turkey hunting as well as deer hunting. You know, right. it's like we're always saying, you know, what what works for us here in Iowa or what works for somebody in Ohio may not work for somebody who's in Michigan. You may have to have a little bit different tactic, you know, and that's, that's something that when we're traveling, we're trying to learn these things and help everybody, you know, be on kind of, the same page or try to help you know bring new ideas to different uh you know to ourselves really right. it, it, it start you know just open our eyes a little bit more and then try to you know i guess relate to everybody as much as we can right now did you you mentioning that everything's kind of different each state each county and so forth did you did you make any i guess effort to try to time up when you would get to a specific location if you had i guess previous knowledge of when that area is typically good right so i'm thinking about Um, in terms of deer it's like you kind of know like in certain states like you know like for example i know the one place that i like to hunt public land in ohio during you know during november it's you know it's happened Mm -hmm. two years in a row the same spot where the rut just goes off for like three days and it's like it seems like that window of three to four days that ridge top is just on fire or whatever and so i know that Mm -hmm. so every year i try to plan to I try to plan to get to there for a couple of days, you know, during that time frame. So I'm just curious if you kind of had any of that kind of intel for your turkey hunts where, you know, this state, I know we've been to this place before, and I know that this week typically has been good for us in the past. I would say to a certain degree, yes, and to a certain degree, the t- complete opposite. Like right. when we went down south to start, we knew we were getting into the toughest of the tough. You know, mm-hmm. when you get down there at the beginning of season, we're talking March 
mid-March. Mm-hmm. You know, 15, I think, was the opener of Alabama and Mississippi. And when we hunted there, I'm like birds weren't gobbling. The pressure's heavy because everybody's super jacked to go turkey hunting. And um, we knew we were going right into the, the hardest of the hard, I guess, when we went down there. But then by the time we were up here in Iowa, you know, I, w- I was the only person to get a tag other th- uh, that wasn't in the last season. So, like, when we're here, we know that the fourth season is generally pretty dang good. And in the past, we stacked them up here that time frame. So a lot of us bought fourth season tags just so we could, you know, kind of fill them as fast as we could and then move on to the next. But but also, like, for example, in Ohio, when I went there, I've always had really good luck the first week of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way the, well, in the southern part of the state where I, where I like to hunt down there, it's the way the season starts, you're almost, you just hit it right, and and I've, I, you know, just from past experiences, I guess. Uh, but but then on the other hand, like Oklahoma, we went in midway through the first season or for the through the first week, and there's a bunch of turkeys that have been shot. I mean, we literally found I'll bet you five empty shotgun shells with a pile of feathers right beside it. <laughs> like nice. We were we were kind of diving into both, diving into knowing. It was going to be tough on purpose, right? And going into places where, you know, we knew that we were going to hit it right on purpose. So, right, um, nice. so kind of both, nice. which makes it fun, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I, that's one of my favorite, you know, I guess things about hunting public ground is, um, you know, I, I hunt some public, some private. You know, here in Pennsylvania, I hunt sure. kind of a combination of both. So, you know, family property, it's a couple hours away. From, I live in around uh, or the suburbs of Philadelphia and all the family properties are, okay. you know, back toward Pittsburgh. So it's, you know, about a three hour drive, <laughs> three and a half hour drive for me to get back to any of it. Um, so I usually hunt public whenever I'm around here. And then whenever I try to pick some good weather weekends, if I have any deer that I'm targeting back, you know, on the, the family farms and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but in Ohio, it's like I've hunted, you know, pretty much all, well, it has been all um, public land. And I kind of like, I don't know. I, I just like the fact that there's no boundaries, right? Like the hardest part was, yeah. so that deer that I was after this past year, the hardest part was, is I knew where he was betting and I knew which pinch point he was yeah. using, but I could only sit up on the pinch point because the pinch point was on our property. Right. But I sure. knew where he was betting and the betting was on the neighbor's property. So mm-hmm. I could only get so close to him, you know what I mean? To, to hunt him. And I had to kind of, you know, hope that no one boogered him up, you know what I mean, over on the other side without me knowing about it while I'm sitting in this pinch point waiting for him, you know, so that's the nice thing about public ground is that you, of course, do have boundaries, yes, you know, it's like, but, you know, you typically have a lot more, you know, some, you know, vast area to to cover, so you have more, I guess, flexibility in that regard. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. 
If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Yeah, that's actually my favorite my favorite part about hunting southern Ohio for turkey especially is you literally have endless. You can park it and you'll never walk to the end of it. You know what I mean? Yep. And <laughs> you hear a bird gobbling, you just keep going and I really enjoy that aspect of of hunting public land it, it's really been the draw i guess my whole life that i've been hunting it is is that you know there's no like you said there are boundaries but there's a lot of times a lot more land that you can work with than you know i i grew up hunting my grandpa's uh, 160 acre farm two 80 acre pieces that were broken up mm-hmm. and uh you know I, to a certain point it was like I really love hunting there and I always will, but the, the limited, you know, land that you can go on gets, gets a little bit stressful at times. So I definitely feel your pain there. Yeah. And, and even living here in Southern Iowa to a certain degree, it's like, there's, there's really good quality public land, but it's like, want well, more of it, you know, right. it's like I want to, <laughs> want a piece where it's like 60,000 acres that you don't have to worry about, right. you know, if, 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 people are coming in hunting it it's like you're not just limited to that one weird of those couple pieces that are you know right yeah i think we probably only hunt total of thirty thousand acres here so compared to other states you know you got endless right yeah no i i I agree it's nice to have those big chunks of land because you know it gives you the opportunity to get off the parking lot and get get in where break that you know half mile circle that people are going to make around the parking lot or where they exactly it's like get in there where you can kind of use their pressure you know to your uh to your benefit i wanted to ask you man like since you've been you know hunting turkey so hard this spring you know spring's typically a really you know good time to be in the in the timber just to kind of look and scout for next year because you can still see some sign and stuff like that huh Mm-hmm. Does that put you behind the eight ball at all in terms of getting ready for whitetail season, or are you trying to kind of hunt and scout at the same time? Man, life is scout, you know. Like, <laughs> I, I, uh, it constant. It's constant. I mean, even when I'm in, like, I got family and a girlfriend that live in Colorado, and like, mm-hmm. I went out there and scouted some public land. Just, I'm not going to hunt there this coming year, but like, doesn't hurt to scout. You know, right. he was at work and my aunt and uncle had the day off and I was like, Hey, let's go scout, you know? And like, right. it's just constant. It doesn't matter if it's turkey season, if it's, if I'm on my kayak fishing, like I'm learning something when I'm outside. And I think that, you know, that's one of my, always my biggest tips is like, don't ever stop thinking about anything, deer, turkey, you know, whatever you hunt, whatever you want to, whatever you're pursuing, you know, don't ever stop thinking about it. Always have it in the back of your mind. And if you see, mature buck or you see even you see a doe you know even if you see any type of deer sign take note of that and really try to figure out you know maybe i'm going in on a turkey and that's the number one thing on my mind but i see a big rub stash that in the back of your mind so that way when you go back home you're looking at the map trying to plan the next turkey hunt you can also take a quick gander at hey why was that rub there you know what what's he doing that's allowing him to be in that location. Is he there at night? Is he there in the morning? Is he there in the evening? You know, whatever it may be. Is is he coming to a bed? Is he leaving a bed? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, just doing that constantly, you know, 
means that you're just you're always you can never stop scouting and i know you know that's i don't know kind of cliche but i guess i'm myself and everybody else that i hunt with they're doing the same thing you know so i don't i don't feel like we're behind the eight ball because we also i mean we scout during season you know i do a lot of still hunting that way i can just be scouting for the hot sign you know what's hot right now because i think sometimes you know you can be behind the eight ball because you're not looking at you're looking at the sign that you found in february which may have been laid down on november 20th but you're hunting it on november 1st mm-hmm. you know the following year you know and it, does, does mm-hmm. that make sense like i think i think sometimes um you have to just be actively scouting constantly and that's right it's hard to do unless you've got that you kind of have to have that mindset of like i'm always looking at something you know right yeah i i think you hit the nail on the head man I, and i think it's one of those things as you I think you'll almost have to get more comfortable with yourself as a hunter to, and that's, I think when you really start to be able to, to kind of take that, take that approach. I think being able to hunt hot sign is, it takes a certain degree of open-mindedness, I think. Cause I yeah, think, I think a, oh, totally. you know, cause I think a lot of hunters, totally. yeah, I, cause I think a lot of hunters, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Um, it's one of those things that I, I continue to try to break this habit. It's, um, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination and I still will fall into this habit at times, but it's been more recent over the past couple of years where it's like, I've tried to be more mindful about not getting too married to a plan. If that makes sense, dude, you know, dude, yeah. and, and going in and just kind of letting the, the deer woods kind of unfold and tell me what I should be, what I should be doing. You know what I mean? So yeah, I kind of go and lay in my yeah. groundwork. I forget who, I forget who told me this the one day, but they said your best stand is your next stand. You know what I mean? And so, mm-hmm. and, and where I screwed myself last year in the hunt that I did, it was Ohio, uh, Southern Ohio, uh, you know, down near the border of Kentucky, big piece of public ground down there, low deer density, but I got a, I got a guess, but I won't say where you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we, I think we even talked about it whenever we were at ETA together. Um, and, uh, so in you know low deer density but hammers you know what i mean like age structure sure. exactly what you want to see um you know yep and we had some on camera um we had a couple really nice you know every anything from like we had a couple 140s up to like you know 160s the one might have been pushing mid 160s or whatever and uh sure. and it seemed like they just vanished once once we got there but my biggest fail on that trip was i wasn't aggressive enough I was trying, mm-hmm. like I did my, we did some scout work, put boots on the ground early in the year, ran trail cameras, had the intel we needed, had it right up until the time we got there. And I got married to a section because everything was telling me that it should have been right, except the sign, that, like the recent sign that I was looking at told me that I was, that I was like three days late, you know what I mean? Yep. And, and I just wouldn't convince myself that it won't that you know that it wasn't going to be a good spot still and you know i ended up seeing a handful of deer actually i saw all bucks and just none of them that i was willing to pull my bow back on but um you know just one of those things where it's like in hindsight it was like that's what i was saying it's like i'm not perfect it's like i try to hunt the sign as best as i can and at times i still get in my own way you know what i mean so i think you hit the nail on the head with that man yeah i guess i like to think of it like a couple couple different things I'll, i'll I'll say in response to that is like, there's been so many times I, I, I feel you hundred percent. It's like, there's been so many times where it's like literally all summer, all summer, all <laughs> like now, 
you yeah. know, I've already got one in my head. And I already like, like yeah. for example, two nights ago, we were turkey hunting, saw a tank, like just a huge buck come out of a bedding area that has been on my mind, but I don't hunt over there a ton. Um, I saw a huge buck come. I mean, like no doubt a mature buck by mm-hmm. himself, just huge bases, like honestly already almost like up past his ears, just like a, a giant buck. Wow. And I don't, I actually, I don't run any trail cameras or anything, but I, um, just like to, you know, cause, because I feel like that hot sign and finding that hot sign and finding that stuff fresh is so important, but I've, I've got this weird habit of like, <laughs> it never works. I will get this spot in my head and I'm so fired up about it and I can't stop thinking about it. I'll think about it for like, you know, a month straight before season, just like every night. Yeah. And then I go there and I'm wrong. And yep. the reason I'm wrong is because I'm too stuck on that one spot. And then mm-hmm. what ends up happening is, is I get, I go through that whole time frame where I'm so locked on that. And it, it, and all I am thinking about is just like one or two sits in that location. Right. And then I moved on to the next thing. So it's not like it's a whole season, like I'm planning on spending a whole season there, but it's like the times that, or the, the I guess the thing that has made me feel you know, like, a, I guess I've, I've taken a, a step, you know, in the right direction for myself personally is trying to get like uncomfortably aggressive, like to the point when I'm telling somebody else that like, I can tell they're just cringing at like my thoughts <laughs> of like, right. I'm going, yeah, I'm going to go right there. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's like, I bust bucks right out of their beds. I mean, I bust beer and we all, we all do because once we started going with that mindset, you know, we do mess up more stuff, but like our, our theory is, is, Hey, it's public land. If we're not going to do it, there's always a chance that the next guy's going to. Mm. And you know what, to be honest, like, I think, you know, the whole, I think there's a little bit of like, just because of all the media wrapped around it now is like, everybody's so afraid of going aggressive that like, in my opinion, a lot of people are actually doing more harm Mm -hmm. than good for themselves by being so passive because at the end of the day, every time you go in the woods, those deer know it yeah. like later that night they find out and they know where you were. Right. So if you're not right. going to be super aggressive, what's the point? So, and I don't think a lot of times deer are going to leave an area. So, you know, we just because they smell you a couple of times now, now granted you have to do that in a way of like, you know, we're talking, we're doing this on tons of different pieces, like very spread out, like one or two sits a year, you right. know, just going for it all the way. But, you know, I guess it's been the, the best stuff we've learned has been by getting super aggressive. You know, you go in there and you realize, Hey, this is hot or Hey, this is not it's something that we do. Whether it's what stands on our backs or just going in still hunting. Mm-hmm. Like we're literally hunting our way in until we find what we're looking for. You know, especially mm-hmm. early season where, you know, we may have a spot in mind, general area, but if it's not there and we keep going and we keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And then, you know, sometimes you bust them, you know, sometimes you mess up, but that's part of hunting, you know, you learn from your mistakes. And I think sometimes the mindset is too stuck on, I don't want to mess up. And I did, okay, so. I went and I had a hunt and I saw a deer, but I didn't spook anything. So I didn't mess up. Well, right. to me, I'd almost rather mess up something and I'm going to be way madder about it. Trust mm-hmm. me. I'm going to be like really upset. But at the end of the day for next year, I got a way better grasp on what's going on. Right. Yeah. Every time you spook a buck, 
every time you spook a buck, you get direct information of where he was at that time in that, on that day, you know, whatever it may be like, boom, that's, that's, that is the best information you can get. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes I think you're hundred percent right, man. It's like that piece of information there. People look at it. They often forget it, right? Because they look at it as a bad, yeah. that something bad had happened, but it's, I think you're right. I think it that, is. It like is a, to a certain degree. Sure, sure, sure. It's it, you know, it's <laughs> you would rather not have bumped it. You know what I mean? And, and right, have, have right. An opportunity You'd rather got him, but right. But the silver lining right. there is, is that you just had a pile of data on that deer yep. that told you something. Yep. You know, and I think that was the biggest you know learning thing. Learning thing. Look at me with with my my real good English. <laughs> Um, I think one, I think one of the big things for me that I really started to kind of when I started noticing that I was making better better choices, I guess, was that I was starting I was being able to see a deer and start to almost like playing it backwards where he came from and like being able to kind of almost in the moment like take into consideration the direction he's moving from the direction the wind the wind is blowing what the terrain is around yep. where he was coming through. So I could kind of figure out what he was probably using to get there. Like all those things started coming natural. And, and that takes time of sitting in the woods. It takes time of watching deer. It takes time of knowing, looking at topography maps and, and stuff like that. And kind of, and starting to almost like work backwards to find where they're, mm-hmm. where they're at. And that was something I actually talked to Bill Winky about a little bit. Cause I think he's really good at that. I know he uses cameras and you, I'm sure probably have really in depth, you know, knowledge in terms of working with him and stuff, but that was, one mm-hmm. of the things I picked up from him a little bit, you know, a couple of years ago was just his ability to kind of work backwards and kind of shrink a circle on a deer, you know what I mean? And figure out what right. the core area is. And that was, um, when I started kind of putting those pieces together, that was when I started having a lot more encounters, um, seeing a lot more of the deer that I wanted to see, um, you know, mm-hmm. just overall better, you know, better hunting better hunting experiences. I think you mentioned too, that people, you know, you all fired up about that stand. It's like, you know, humans like we're very, uh, it's, we, we want to, it's confirmation bias, right? It's a, it's a, it's an aspect <laughs> of confirmation bias. It's like, we want to be right so bad, you know what I mean? That we're going to yeah. go, we're going to screw ourselves and sit in that stand just by the chance, just for the chance that I could be a hundred percent. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, which right. is, you know, a poor, a poor move, but I wanted to ask you, man, like as you're still hunting in and stuff like that, and you're looking for hot sign, you know, what, like what for you? Because different guys have different approaches, right? Some guys, you know, you know, really are, will hunt scrapes, right? Some guys, you know, mm-hmm. are interested in seeing rubs right outside of what they think to be, you know, buck beds. Some guys get fired up on finding buck beds or whatever. So I'm just curious for you, man. What's what type of sign gets you real fired up if you're hunting and you see you see something? And I know it's kind of seasonal too, right? You have to take into consideration what's yeah. you know, how the woods are shifting and stuff. But for you, what's like a surefire like? you know, Zach's fired up when he sees this? Uh, well, that's, that's a tough question because it is so seasonal and it is so situational. But, um, for example, if I, like I do a lot of scouting, we all do for buck sign in general. Mm -hmm. And we like to go into a location and we just make a big swath through it. And we try to hit as much of it as we can in one day, and then we don't come back until we're ready to hunt it. Now, let's say we have, on a given piece, we have two mature buck bedding areas that we feel like, you know, we know where the bed is or know a general, you know, very small area of where that buck is going to be bedded. And if we go, if I go into a spot and I'm going in and I see 
really fresh, big rubs, really fresh, big tracks, really fresh scrapes. All those things are important. And a lot of times, it, like like we said, it is it is very seasonal. But I guess along the lines of early season, if you're going into a spot, you know you're getting close to that potential buck bed, and you see a really big rub, you know that's really fresh. Like he just he just shredded that tree, mm-hmm. you know. Then that's that's something that I'm getting excited about. But if I'm going in and you know all the rubs that were there when I scouted it last time like they're not they're dead they're not really opened up no none of the scrapes are opened up then it's like okay maybe i guessed the the time frame wrong on this location and you know maybe he's somewhere else and he's in that next bedding area so you just keep moving to the next one if you find it there great if not then you know that the time frame that that deer is there or the the deer whatever a mature buck is there is probably not when you went in there so then it's time to just go back to the the drawing board and think, okay, why was that there? What time frame is that there? You know? And so for here's a really good example. I think, um, there was a location we hunted a couple of years ago and late November, a lot of times you hear people talking about scrapes are dying off, you know, bucks aren't hitting the scrapes. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that. What I believe is happening is they're not scraping all over the place as much those mature bucks kind of get pinched down, especially on high pressured areas, public mm-hmm. land or even private land where, you know, the, the, uh, you know, pressure's high bucks, bucks get pushed into their specific little corners, you know, early in the season, October, they're real spread out. You know, they've, they've, uh, you know, all the does are kind of spread out all those beds. They, they get a max bedding capacity, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they can bed so many places at that time frame. So, we were hunting this location and it was late or mid to late November and, um, went in there and there was just scrapes literally everywhere, just ripped up. And there was like, we saw like seven mature bucks and like four days of hunting in there, ended up missing the buck and then shooting the same buck a couple of days later. The, the, the point is, is that when we went in there and we started seeing that fresh sign, that's when we knew, Hey, they're loaded in here. And we saw those everywhere. We were seeing tons of does go out, you know, coming out of a bedding area into a food source. And in between there, there was tons of buck signs. So, you know, at that time frame, it was just looking at scrapes. You know, those scrapes were ripped up. And I've even seen in gun season, you know, mm-hmm. where you go back and you find a little bedding pocket and the scrapes are still there. We're talking December, mid-December. Right. You know, those scrapes are still opened up. So where there's where there's lots of mature bucks. Now I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not going to hunt a location. If I go in there mid November and the scrapes aren't torched, it doesn't mean that there's still not one in there, but right. it definitely makes me feel a lot better about setting up. If I'm seeing really, really hot signs. Right. And I guess, I guess it, because it's so seasonal, you know, it, it's going to change day to day, but you know, the, the little things, I guess, and paying attention to those little things on the way in can really make a big difference. The buck I shot this past year, we were going in and we realized there's a fresh cut cornfield and we knew it was a bedding, you know, bedding area really close to that where last year we'd found, or, you know, I guess the year, the, the, the winter prior, we'd found tons of buck bedding locations. And, um, when we were 
kind of going from the food source into the bedding area, saw tons of big fresh rubs, tons of big buck tracks, and ended up going in there. And I, you know, and it was after a rain too. Hmm. So like it had rained the night before and there were big buck tracks from the, the, that night prior mm-hmm. in that field. So when we went into that bedding location, we had a pretty good feeling that there was a big one in there, got lucky and he went past us. But, mm-hmm. you know, seeing stuff like that is, is a really big deal to us. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned something there, you know, whenever you're talking about, I, I never thought of it before. That was like when you started saying that, you don't think that they scrape less. You think that they just get pinched down. And I never really thought of that. But if, if you think about it, it, it makes sense, right? It's like, they're not just mm-hmm. all of a sudden going to turn off. Um, yeah. But the places but where they're. Deer, scra- deer are scraping right now. Yeah. I, I mean, they're not, they're not, they're hitting licking branches. I mean, I mean, like you'll go under a, I remember, I remember the realization of this was like years ago. I was in Southern Ohio turkey hunting. Me and my buddy are walking along and we were just, really half-assed in a turkey hunt, you know, it's mm-hmm. getting late in the morning and looked down. I was like, dude, that's a scrape. Like no doubt. Like they've hit this before. Right. There's an obvious licking branch here and there's scrap or, you know, a scrape underneath of it. Mm-hmm. And we got to talking about, it's like, man, you know, they must just really hit scrapes. So, I mean, we were really just like, it was an interesting realization. And I guess I've, I've, I've heard about it since other people, saying stuff like that since but you know the deer are always using those glands when they're scraping so like Mm -hmm. a a licking branch that is there year to year those deer are always stopping at it it's just a matter of finding the ones that are hot and the ones deer are using at the given time and when you find that it can really open up really open up some really good opportunities if if you can find them i remember another time i was at home uh, in between, oh, I don't know. I think it was I was like home for college winter break or something. Mm-hmm. And me and my aunt went for a walk in the woods behind the house and got it just like northwest Ohio, small wood lot. Mm-hmm. Got behind the house and I knew there was a bedding area back in there, middle of December around Christmas time. And there was a scrape that was absolutely lit up. <laughs> Tons of big buck tracks in it. You know, multiple big bucks in that scrape. So it just get, goes to show, hey, they're bedding right in that little bedding area, right there, right outside the bedding area. There's this massive community scrape that all the deer are hitting still. It's obvious that that is the one area in this woodlot and probably most surrounding woodlots where the deer are still bedding. Right. Given all that pressure, they get pinched down into that one little spot, and you're going to find that a lot on, you know, these are, high, this, these are highly pressured little woodlots that I'm talking about. And you're going to find that there. You're going to find that in southern Iowa. Those deer get pressured. That big influx of pressure in late October, early November just keeps pushing those deer further and further into their deep, dark holes. So it's almost like... And once they find that spot, they're safe. They stay there. Right. So it, it's almost like you know a strategy, a really good strategy might be, what is that secondary scrape line? Right? Like, what is that secondary area? And, and that might be where you focus your, your hunting efforts, you know what I mean? It's like, cause the, prim- mm-hmm. the primaries that are going to open up first to your point, it's like most hunters are going to know where, know where those are at. Those are at, unless it's mm-hmm. off the beaten mm-hmm. path, kind of already deep in, you know what I mean? To where it's like, that's, you know, then you might be, might be safe, but it's really about finding that secondary 
that secondary scrape line. You know, and I'll just say secondary scrape line for lack of a better way to categorize it. But yeah, know, yeah, not, almost like a it's almost like a later, mm-hmm. a later. Yeah, I know what you I know what you mean. I yeah, guess yeah, yeah. Like it's like um, it's just secondary to the primary ones that open up first. Right. Exact. Exactly. <laughs> so, I'm curious though, man, because. Mm-hmm. You got me thinking about this because I'm starting to think, you know, I guess I'll just ask it this way. So do you ever follow or are you, a, a, you know, a believer, you know, in the or I shouldn't say a believer, but do you subscribe to the, to the idea of, of annual patterns? Because as you're talking about this, it's like when I'm thinking of that secondary scrape line, if you can kind of figure mm-hmm. out what the what the like the mega secondary scrape is like the mother, like the mothership, right? Like mm-hmm. The one all of them they're going to. Yeah. Hit. And if you can figure out annually when it changes over right then that means the 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 dominant bucks i'm just gonna spitballing here you know should be at some point checking that and if they are they're probably doing Mm -hmm. it annually around the same time frame like the same week within like a three-day window (laughs) you know so like do you subscribe to that kind of idea as well oh yeah so a great example of it so there was an area that we hunted and when i say i don't run have trail cameras it means i don't own any but my buddies do and i will obviously look at that information um we went in and we made a big loop on a spot this summer as a spot. And, and, and this, and all this is wrapping back around the idea that like, you always have to be scouting. You can't buy in. I think too many people buy in to, Hey, I'm going to go scout this in the off season, the traditional time to scout, which is February, March during shed season, whatever, right. you know, if there's big hype on that, that that's the most important time. Well, every time is important time because all that stuff is very seasonal because mm-hmm. what you're seeing in February and March is everything you're literally seeing everything from summer you're seeing summer beds you're seeing winter beds you're seeing you know you're seeing anything from summer to late season beds and all the sign in between that Mm -hmm. the food sources the the staging areas the you know scrape areas the rub you know whatever it may be when you're looking at something in february and march you're seeing the whole big picture now granted if you're going into a new area that's the best time to scout it because you get to see everything in one, in one swath, you know? Right. But you always have to be picking things apart. So back to, back to my example, I guess I was with Aaron, Jake and Brody. And there was a spot that Aaron and I had been looking at for a long time and just had a lot of potential bedding areas in it, but we really had no idea how to take a random stab at it without going, you know, on a big scouting mission. So right. one evening, we went and did our, you know, our, you know, four man team just cruise the whole thing and cover as much as possible. And we came across on a transition line, this just mega rub. It was on a big basswood tree and like had four trunks on it. And they were all just shredded. And there's this, just, you know, one of those like rubs you, you see in the magazines, you know, right. <laughs> and, uh, Oh, that magazine rub. That <laughs> <laughs> has, has many different meanings. <laughs> Trying to keep this show clean, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so we uh, we went in and, and we had we just had a trail camera in the backpack. And we threw it up, and throughout the season we bounced around a ton. I mean, we literally like. We get mad at each other if some guy's feeling or is getting a little too locked on in areas. Like, hey, dude, open your mind a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and we're all, we all take each other accountable for that. Like, hey, right. you know, if I'm getting too locked on something, just tell me, you know. So bouncing around, hitting all our different spots, and the progression of this spot kind of went went in. Jake and Brody did an observation set before they had bought tags because they were running the camera a lot early. They hadn't bought tags yet. Seeing monster get out of a bed 
come right under him at five yards. <laughs> so, of course, you know, the old classic, hey, didn't have my tag yet. Right. So they saw that buck. We went in, hunted it a couple more times in the month of October, and then we laid off for a while, and Sean, our friend Sean and I, went in, He and we still hunted the whole thing just to get a little bit better understanding of what was going on. And then that day, we learned a ton. We actually got really close to that rub, and I was going to pull that camera, um, but forgot the lock and ended up running into two, or, or excuse me, three bucks, one of which was one that we were going to shoot, all bedded right in front of that camera, <laughs> like literally like 50 yards from it. We snuck right up to them, and they were all bedded. We were just still hunting, and we just caught a glimpse of their antlers moving. And we watched them, ended up trying to grunt to them, and they, they just didn't respond, and they just eventually worked off. Never spooked them or anything, but left that camera still, and then we went back in first day of gun season, and Jake and I's goal was to get back in there and get close to that bedding area and just kind of hunt our way in in the morning because that's where we figured all those bucks we're going to suck back to is the most secure area deep in that public close to where we had seen those bucks just, you know, a couple weeks prior during bow season right? where that rub was. And on the way in, we were getting pretty close, you know, fairly close to it, and Jake ended up shooting just the oldest, nastiest buck I've ever seen. <laughs> and we ended up that day checking that trail camera, and we went back, and that rub was not hardly touched <laughs> until, like, a specific, and I can't remember the exact day, but I want to say it was, like, November... 15th or something right. it wasn't even touched <laughs> and then all of a sudden there was that mega buck that went right past jake and brody and then the one that jake ended up killing and a couple other really really nice mature bucks just crushing that rub for like <laughs> four days <laughs> and there's a reason that that rub was there and then we found it now if you put all your time in on november 1st and get super or late october even get super amped that you know, all oh, that rub, that rub's on fire right now. Right. You know, like, or, or it's going to be on fire. That's when they're going to be hitting that rub or whatever, or even early season, even October 1st, you know, right when the bucks start to rub, you know, in all through September, they're really rubbing. They're kind of got a core area that they're bedding in, broken up from those bachelor groups. You may think, oh, that's when that rub's hot, you know, and if you get that stuff locked in your mind, you're not reading that fresh sign then you're going to miss it by literally a month sometimes. Right. Like, if you'd have been in there on October 1st, you wouldn't have seen anything. Right. Because there was no deer going through there. They hadn't been pushed back to that area yet. But for what, you know, for a number of different reasons, that's the exact time frame that those mature bucks are there. And now we know that because we ran that camera there and because Sean and I went back in there hunting right in that time frame and we saw those big bucks back in there. Right. So it's just a matter of, you know, putting the pieces together, you know, throughout the year, not just in the time frame that is the traditional scouting time, because I always worry for myself and, and other hunters, if you, if you buy in too much to one bit of sign and think that you know the exact answer to when that sign is being laid down, you can be totally wrong. And then you go in there and you hunt there, and if you don't have a camera or something, you don't have, you don't go back to it. You know, you don't know, you go in, you're like, oh, man, that buck that made all that sign dead. Mm -hmm. If you were in there on literally November 12th, you might think that. Right. But if you're on there on the 16th, you might shoot him. And, right. and you know, that's the, I guess that's the, the main 
takeaway from that whole trail camera run and that kind of progression of hunting that area. And luckily we were able to get one out of there, but you know, it was just, it was just a matter of really putting the pieces together of the time frame that they were hitting that and reading that fresh sign because it just goes, it goes a long way. I think if, yeah, I, I, I just, I'm always worried for myself too. It's like, I was thinking about that spot last night. I was going to sleep <laughs> and I was, I was like, man, I saw that, saw that big buck. I was turkey hunting the other night. And, uh, since I'd been up to their turkey hunting last year and I saw there's tons of big scrapes and stuff. And I was like, man, I know the time frame that I want to hunt it. And in my head, as I'm laying in bed, I'm like, Hey, like, don't get locked on to it. When you think the time frame is right, you know, you got to know, right. like, you know, those scrapes are there every year. Like you just got to find the day that's right. And maybe you hunt it a couple of times and it's not right. But then maybe on the third time they're all in there right? and you just hit it right. You know, and that's where I think trail cameras can really come in handy if, if you got them and you, you want to run them, you know. Right, yeah. Or you run a trail camera all season, you get the whole, you know, you get the whole season's worth of info for that location. I think that's really important. Yeah, so that's one thing that I've definitely, uh, over the past couple of years, have, have changed. I, you know, you mentioned a couple of things there that I thought were really kind of important. You know, whenever you're scouting here, hundred percent right, man. Whenever you, when you hit the woods there in the winter, it's like, you don't really think about it, but you're seeing everything, you know, that could have been laid mm-hmm. down in, you know, the first week of the, the season or the summer or, or September. Yeah. I mean, you may yeah. have an October one opener. It may be in the first day of September, maybe in late August, you know, yeah. it's just, so yeah. it's like, it's like you're talking about, it's like, as you're hunting, you're scouting because what you do see, you know, if you have an October one opener and you're hunting that first week of October and you're seeing sign, you may not be hunting the right sign at that moment, especially if you're new to that particular location and say you're a dude who's a normal dude working a nine to fiver and you get a your weekends to get out and stuff like that. It's like that makes it even that much more important that you pay attention whenever you're, you know, on your ins and your outs. Because that mm-hmm. sign that you're seeing this year is gonna tell you gonna help tell you what you should do next year during that same week right. or during that same time. Right. And that was one of the things that right. really was a game changer for me was when I started playing the long game, as I like to call it, you know, it's like golf yep. or it's like golf. It's like, a, I got a lot better with my driver, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I, yeah. I now kind of take the approach that all the trail cameras I run, I don't, I really don't give a shit what I see this year. That is the first time I've seen a deer. I'm looking for the deer that I've yep. seen multiple times mul- over multiple years because I've started to be able mm-hmm. to kind of piece a story together. So I actually use, last year's trail camera data to, to plan my hunt next year. You know what I mean? And then this year's data that I get, you know, during September, October, November, whatever, will tell me what I should do the following year. You know, that's kind of how I started approaching it because, you know, it's, you know, I'm a normal dude working nine to five. So it's like, I do take vacation time to get out the hunt, but it's like, I got to try to make them the days count. So I can't, I have to go in with a, an idea of what's going on annually and how they're using different areas annually. And if, if right. I don't do that, um, I'm screwed. You know, like this year, the one property, you know, my dad actually picked up a 60 acre piece of property. And it was the first year we had had it and we didn't do anything to it. And I just hung some cameras on it and I said, no, I'm not going to hunt it at all this year. I'm going to come back and scout it, you know, during the course of the season when I can get back and hung some cameras. And I was like, and I'll, come scout it in the winter too and just kind of pay attention to what's going on and then my dad ended up hunting it like maybe five days total you know and i was like i'm just gonna learn how deer are using this and what they're doing you know i was like i just want to understand like what directions they're traveling and and things like that there was one really nice for pa he was really nice deer he's probably he's probably 
pushing Pope and Young eight point, you know, for Pennsylvania, it's a nice deer, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, yep. and, uh, and I had him on camera and I was tempted to try to hunt him because we got a cold front on the opening, opening day. And, you know, I went and tracked my trail cameras a couple weeks later and wouldn't, you know, at the tree that I was planning to climb opening day, if I would have hunted it, he walked by within 20 yards at like eight 30 in the morning. So <laughs> go figure, yeah. you know what I mean? But I was like, that's yeah. cool. I was like, cause I, I kind of knew what he was doing. It was down a fence line. That was a nice, you know, kind of like transitionary into like some, um, an overgrown field, you know what I mean? That had an apple tree at the end of that fence row or whatever. So that's mm-hmm. what he was kind of working in the summer. But what I learned was that the only reason I would have had an opportunity at him that day was because I got the exact right conditions. Pennsylvania, it was like the archery God shined on us opening day because we got like a 20 degree temperature drop, you know, high pressure, the whole nine. It was like the perfect, it was like if Mark Drury drew it up, that was like what you got that opening day, cold front rolled through, you know what I mean? It was perfect. Um, Right. And, but you're not going to typically get that, you know what I mean? So, but what I learned by not hunting him was I kind of just watched and man, October 28th, through the 31st i had him on almost every camera on that property in daylight for three days straight yep you know what i mean so this year where do you think i'll be october 28th to the 31st oh yeah <laughs> you yep. know what i mean it's I know like where you'll be. <laughs> yeah he, he's daylight walking you know what i mean it's like in in there's no pressure yep. on that property which it's one of those things where it's um you know, I'm fortunate in that regard. That property doesn't get a lot of pressure. So it's most other places I hunt aren't like that. So I'll take it when I can get it, you know what I mean? But, um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's like you were saying, man, it's playing that long game. You know what I mean? What did I learn last yeah. year that I can apply to this year, you know, and then this year for next year, you know, it's if you, you can't be a prisoner of the moment, I guess is, a, I guess is the important takeaway. Yeah. And I think another thing to, to point out there too, and don't, I think, I think some people, get discouraged too of like, let's say, let's say, um, for example, if I, if, if, uh, one of us wanted to hunt that big, big buck that we saw, that was also one of the other ones that, um, was in there with the one that Jake and, and or it was actually the one that Jake and Brody saw mm-hmm. that was also the other one that was in that scrape. Sean and I actually saw him hunting too. You know, he was, at, or I'm sorry, at that rub, that big rub that we're talking about. He, um, if you wanted to go in there and hunt him, you know, I think some people would get super fired up and be like, oh, I got to check and run trail cameras, make sure he's still alive. Well, one of the reasons I don't like running trail cameras is I, I feel like it can lock you onto a buck too. Mm-hmm. And I think that locking onto a buck, it has its pros and its cons, right? Like I'm never going to bash somebody for doing it, but I think like it closes your mind a little bit yep. and like it can limit you. You get too locked onto it. So don't be afraid if, if he doesn't show up, maybe, Maybe he's dead. Right. Maybe yeah. somebody else shot him. Good yeah. for the other. Good for the other hunter. What you got to do is you got to keep your head on straight, and you got to think, hey, another one's going to do that at some point. Yep. Never forget that sign because because I do buy into annual, you know, mm-hmm. um, habits. You know, right. Just because he's dead doesn't mean that all mature bucks in that area, you know, aren't going to be in there. You know, right. it doesn't mean that like that was just his thing. Right. No, it's it's a deer thing. It's just like it's just like with turkeys too. We find the same thing. Last year, we we got a turkey right up where there was a bunch of there's a perfect roosting little ridge. There's a intersection of a fence row, and right on that there's a dust bowl there where all the hens are going too late season. Last year we went in there on a whim. Aaron shot a turkey, and then they were roosted right off that. This this just a couple days ago, I was in there with my buddy, and we hadn't hunted there all year. And I said, guys, I said, as soon as one gobbles right there, that's where we're going. 
sure enough, one gobbled there. Ended up being three of them. Went <laughs> right to them. Came right to us right off the wrist. Yeah. You know, it's just the same thing. They're 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 all the same critter. You know, right. yeah. like they're not they're not this totally different thing. Now some they all have their own personal, you know, personality yeah. traits that right. make them their own, but they do the same general thing. Just yeah. like hunting deer in Turkey, you're hunting the same thing. You're just hunting them in a different habitat. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I forget who I was talking to. It might've been whoever it was. It was, they were mentioning, we were talking about buck beds, right. And Mm -hmm. how some people, you know, they'll have a a buck that they know they're betting on this point or whatever, where, wherever the buck might be betting. And someone kills that buck. He's like, man, he's like, that bed's still a good bed. He's like, there's a reason why that deer was staying there. You know what I mean? He was like, Mm -hmm. it just made room for the next guy. You know what I mean? He was like, that's, there's going to be a buck that's going to use that bed. You know, he was like, you can book it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's the same kind of, it's the same kind of thing. And and you're a hundred percent right, man. Because like, I've tried to tell myself, tried to tell myself not to get locked onto this deer. You know, I saw him after the season. So he's around as long as he makes it through the winter, doesn't get hit by a car or something, something like that. But there was another one that I'd seen using the same exact kind of, uh, uh, pattern or same travel corridors and sure. stuff like that during that same time frame who was bigger but he was the only time is the only mm-hmm. time i ever had seen him which was made it even kind of cooler because he was just he was a, a random traveler you know what i mean like i hadn't yep. seen him at all during the summer the winter the fall he showed up for like a handful of days and that was it and he was a hammer um but what yep. i did learn was like that little spot during those three days is a hot spot you know what i mean so mm-hmm. you know i, I uh I won't be shy to release some carbon so long as the, uh, so long as the animal is right. It doesn't have to be the specific one, just the right one. <laughs> right. You know, right. I mean? And I think, you know, if you take, if you take, if you take a step back and you think about it, it's like, I love, I love how mature bucks just use their nose. You know, mm-hmm. like I always laugh at like, you know, like we have lots of video and stuff that we look at obviously. And, and, and when you see that big mature buff, he's like barely got his eyes open. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, he's so confident in what he's doing. And he's like, not even really looking at anything. He's just using that nose. Mm-hmm. And like, you can tell, you can tell like that, their whole life is based on that. It's like, <laughs> and it really goes for travel corridors. It's like, if a buck is going to walk in a specific spot, there's a reason he's doing that. I'm, well, I'm not going to say myself or anybody is going to totally fully understand that because we, we will never be able to literally put ourselves in their shoes and smell what they can smell, but like right. in a specific spot, you know, and maybe it's even a spot that you can never get away with hunting because they've mastered it so well that they know when they hit that spot at that given time, those thermals and that wind and that yep. sunlight hitting a hillside, creating the thermals, like they know what they're doing, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, you just got to get, you just, all those little pieces put together. It's like, yeah. it's just helping you for the next one. Even, it's, you know, it, don't, 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 if you get too locked on one, then you're not thinking about the next or thinking about why that spot works. Before we continue our conversation, let's talk about wicked tree gear saws. Hardcore deer hunters need hardcore tools. Do yourself a favor and check out wicked tree gear, the toughest hand saws and pull saws on earth. You buy it once you buy it for life backed by a lifetime guarantee. Right now, if you use the promo code truth, You'll save 20% on your next purchase with free ground shipping. So head over to wickedtreegear.com and get a saw that's tough enough to work as hard as you hunt. All right, folks, we're back. Sorry, we had a quick technical, uh, little technical difficulty here with the old, with the old <laughs> podcast, uh, with the, uh, with the off button. So those off buttons will get you, man. They ought to, they ought to make those red and blinky, or maybe they already do. I'm not sure. But, uh, 
<laughs> I, I know we kept you here for just about an hour, man. I have like two two final questions to kind of to ask or two topics to kind of discuss. And, and and the first one is, um, you know, I wanted to get a sense from you, man. That, you know, I know we've covered everything from, you know, the signage you're looking for. And, you know, we talked a little bit about annual patterns and not being a prisoner of the moment and playing the long game and stuff like that. You know, I'm always curious, you know, if guys kind of when, when they're, you know, scouting. I know you scout all the time, so I don't want to use scouting as like the as like a moment in time. But are there certain mm-hmm. terrain features that you really gravitate toward? You know what I mean? And I know, again, it depends on, I know you guys hunt a lot of states and stuff like that. So it depends on what you're kind of provided by the land to a degree in terms of the region that you're in. But let's just right. say you like, say you're in your home, you know, your, your, uh, your native son state of Ohio, or if you're, you know, at home now in, in Iowa, you know, what are you prioritizing in terms of terrain? Um, I, I would say almost more than, than terrain. Um, I'm interested in habitat mm-hmm. and, and I guess those go hand in hand, but I, what I mean by that's m- maybe more vegetation. What's something, or, or even water, what's something that's going to allow a mature buck to get away from people in a place that like, you're going to have to be halfway crazy to get to. Mm-hmm. And he has no problem getting to it. For example, we hunt, um, some areas that, you know, are along a river that, you know, you either have to kayak into or wade into, or I guess if we're talking Ohio, um, there's, you know, there's, you know, how many, how many hills do I have to walk over to get to where I think that buck's going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of times too, what's going hand in hand with that is not only is there, you know, maybe a hill or a water source, but there's some sort of thick vegetation that is nasty to get through. And is there a way that obviously what's the way that he gets in and out of that and how can I get close enough to it with, for one, being able to see enough to shoot, but still be close enough, um, to not, not spook him and get close enough that he's going to make it there in daylight. Right. So I guess some of the things that have really interested me since I've moved here to Iowa is like wet areas, Mm -hmm. um, or just very, very thick, nasty areas that there may be just a slight little travel corridor where the deer feels totally comfortable traveling through that. Um, <laughs> I actually was reading um, Jeff Sturgis, mm-hmm. the book that he had wrote, and he talks a lot about creating, he talks a lot about creating habitat, you know, and, mm-hmm. but he also, um, I talked to Jeff a fair amount, and he, um, was talk he talks a lot about the the uh, bucks need to be in an area where he's traveling through and he feels totally safe in daylight mm-hmm. it's almost like he's got surrounding cover so that's really jumped out at me as you know something to target like how how does a buck like to travel through a little hole where he feels totally safe and you find that i feel like you find that a lot in these wet areas where you can find where he's got one piece of cover on one side and he's got the ability to see on the other, you know? Mm-hmm. So in Ohio, that would be, you know, where you've got a hillside that kind of comes down and maybe on that upper third, there's a bench or something or an old skid path or something where kind of flattens out. And on one side, he's got thick cover that he can escape to. And then when he can look the other way, he can see maybe down the hill. And he can see a really long way. So if he's walking that, 
he's got wind coming through that thick cover and he's got the ability to look down the hill on the other side and if he hears smells or sees a predator he's got the ability to escape really quickly and i feel like a lot of times when you see when you find that spot you're finding or when you find a spot like that you're finding where a mature buck's going to travel like mm-hmm. so many times you know once you start finding these bedding areas you find the travel you know the, the escape routes or just the trap you know the relaxed travel routes out of them they're always traveling where they've got quick cover you know buck a mature buck he'll do it in the rut but not very often mm-hmm. you know not till he really has to in late november when he's trying to find that last hot doe is he going to just travel a really long way and just like put himself in a really vulnerable position he likes you know he likes to stay close to that cover so if you can find a location where he feels totally safe where nobody's coming to him from maybe even one whole direction you know that's that's what I really like to, to target on is like, where's an area that literally nobody's ever come at that buck from. And then that can go anywhere from standing corn mm-hmm. to a marsh, to a river, to, you know, a, a thick, nasty cedar and oak thicket in Southern Iowa, where he's up on the, you know, the upper third of the hill with that thick cover on one, on the upper side of the hill. And then, you know, an open Creek bottom down below where you can see, Anywhere where he feels totally safe, where not a lot of predators can get to him from a whole direction mm-hmm. or multiple different directions, even better yet. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the lesson there is, you know, <laughs> nice bucks, you got to kind of go where people aren't willing to go. You know, and that's just, yeah. you know, it's, that's just kind of like the moral, moral of the story. Or, you know, one of the things I've liked to do recently is you know take a page out of the old Dan Enfault book and you mm-hmm. know doing more of not literally a book but from talking to him or whatever <laughs> but um is uh you know looking for overlooked places you know what I mean places mm-hmm. like you know this, this, that deer I killed in Ohio it's like I probably wasn't more than three tenths of a mile from my truck but it was all straight up straight up the side of a a river uh, on the other side of a river you know what I mean so it was all you know, pretty much vertical and yeah. nothing but green briars and blowdown. You know what I mean? Yep. So it was crawling over top of logs and underneath of logs to get up there with a stand on your back. You know, it was just, it sucked. Mm-hmm. It was a, you know, it wasn't a far climb, but it was a shitty climb, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. it was one of those places where you get into and it's like, usually if it's a place that, you know, has, is a good spot, typically it's like, you'll see some type of hunter sign from years past, whether it's like a, a beer can or a soda can or something like, you know, or wicks or, or, yeah, or, or something stand or a drip. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Some, something. Yeah. You'll see something, you know what I mean? But I got up there yep. and there was nada, nothing, you know what I mean? Yep. And I was like, all right. I was like, and I had seen, you know, this is one of the times I wasn't a prisoner of the moment. I read the hot sign and I, I saw a nice big scrape that had just been recently opened up behind where I wanted to kind of set up. And at the bottom of that, um, you know, ridge that I climbed, there was like a staging area that was just completely destroyed. And I was like, all right, this seems, this seems like a good place to start. And so that's where I started. Mm-hmm. And of course I had bucks around me every day, uh, multiple bucks, you know, and I don't know. I think I saw a hundred three days. I was there for seven. I killed mine on the third day. And I think I saw seven different bucks in those three days and, yeah. um, sparring, you know, grunting, you know, ripping up trees, just like the whole thing you want to see, you know, in, in November or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like the, it was like you were saying like the magazine rub, 
this was like the, the yeah. t- this is the t this is like the tv the, the tv rut you know what i mean where it was like the highlight reel yeah the rut highlight reel yeah exactly <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um, i got to live it which was which was super cool but it was one of those things where you know if i was you know trying to be all macho and be like oh i didn't hike far enough and i'm not gonna sit here it's like i was like man everything's mm-hmm. telling me i should sit here you know so yep I was uh swallowed some pride and said, you know what, I'm gonna set up a stand. I'm glad I did, you know. So Yeah, yeah. Actually I got I've got a quite funny quick thing to tell you. Yeah. I I don't I I I don't wanna I guess maybe macho macho I don't want to think that I think of it like that, but one of the things when I'm hunting here is like there are a lot more overlooked places here because there are simply less hunters obviously in Iowa than there are in Ohio and, and right. Pennsylvania and stuff like that. But I actually am very anti sit close to the road just mm-hmm. because like in my experiences, the opportunity for that in Ohio is like slim to none, you know, it's like, right. it's like a lot of places it really doesn't exist where you can hunt close to the road. Yeah. Now in an example, like you, your hat, you have obviously it works, right. but, um, it's, it's funny. I, I don't like it just because of the nature of like, and I got nothing against it. Right. I actually found a spot just a couple, well, back in the, back in the, um, in February where it was honestly like 30 yards off the road mm-hmm. the spot that we decided we would set up on. Right. But, you know, it's, it's hard for me to see that. I'll definitely run stuff over because I'm afraid of sitting too close to the road just because it's not ever been a part of my, yeah you know, hunting strategy growing up. Yeah. Cause if you did that, you always felt like you were just not trying hard enough. Yeah. And, and it, it, but it obviously worked. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. I felt the, I, I felt the same way because like I, same same type of deal. It's like I've never sat at a place like that like in my and that was the first time, and it was just one of those <laughs> things where I had had Dan on the show and we were talking about it. You know, just you know whatever it was a couple months prior to that, and we started <laughs> talking about just like you know he was talking about walking into like cattail swamps and that he'll walk off the parking lot. You know what I mean? And there might be like a ridge that's right behind the parking lot and no one thinks to hunt it because it's right by the parking lot. And he was like, and you'll kill a hammer out of it. You know, and he's like, and he's, mm-hmm. he's done that a couple of times or whatever. And I was like, you know what? If it's good enough for Dan and fault. That's like, I'm going to try it. <laughs> so yeah, you know, no, went out for, and sure, for gave, sure. Gave it a whirl. And, uh, and it, look, you know, there's other, there's other places where I've walked by and I thought about it too. And, and then just, you know, after I had, you know, got my wits about me, I was like, you know what? Not every spot that's near, a road or a drainage that's along a road is, is a gold mine. You know what I mean? So right. you gotta, it's to your point earlier, it's like, you've got to read the hot sign. Cause if that hot sign wouldn't yep. have been there, I would have kept going, you know, but it was just mm-hmm. like, it was one of those things where I was like, this seems like a good place. It was away from like all the cornfields and all the soybean fields. So it was, you know, there was the closest truck to me was probably like, I passed him two miles down the road. So it's like, I had the area kind of to myself. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so all those things were kind of playing in my favor and once I saw the hot sign and got up there and saw it there, I didn't have any other hunter sign that was up there from years past. It was like, that was when I kind of sealed the deal. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was, and I liked the, the terrain or the, the, uh, terrain features that were on the backside. It was almost like a bowl. So it made it like a really nice, easy way for the deer to kind of move that ridge. Um, which mm-hmm. is like an added, added bonus, but man, I know I've kept you here just a, a little over an hour, dude. I, I appreciate you spending, <laughs> spending some time with me, but I always like to ask before I let, let the hostages go if they'll uh 
if they'll entertain me with the one hunting story. Uh, it could be a near miss, could be one that you bagged, uh, but you know, give me every every detail from the state that you were hunting, who you're with, and uh, all the details from the the tailgate back to the truck. My like a favorite one. It could be your favorite. It could be your worst. You know, it's uh, it's it's oh, up man. up to you, man. I'll leave it up to your up to your discretion, oh, dude. I know. Well, I got I got two. I got I got two. All right. I, no, I'll make one. I'll make one a little long. Make one a little quick. All right. I warn you. I talk a little. I talk a little. Bit. I love it, man. I love so, it. So <laughs> <laughs> you say you saying get me longer than an hour, dude. I I like <laughs> like like there's so there's always so much more. Right. But. <laughs> Um, so my fa- one of my favorite things just recently that happened was uh, we had just recently started this, you know, we just started this new deal or, you know, it basically hadn't really even started it. We were just kind of flirting with, the, you know, we had we had uh, all like just gone our separate ways um, from our last job and we were, you know, we hadn't even really started this, hadn't even planned it, you know, right. we had just like we were like pretty much just like trying to figure out what we're going to do next in life. And, uh, mm-hmm. was, it was like kind of sitting at home. It was like, Hey, Nebraska's open. So we drove myself, Jake and Brody drove to Nebraska and we just went through the whole process of trying to learn an area, big piece of public land and, um, learned an area and, uh, what we were doing, our whole strategy, I guess, real quickly was let's go in, you know, there's specific areas where we know these deer are bedding. Let's go in, let's scout them by still hunting, like literally getting right in there with them. And it's early, you know, there's not a lot of pressure right now. So we feel that we're not going to totally blow something up. If we find something good, we'll wait a couple of days and then we'll come back and, um, and then hunt it. And through doing that, we had a couple of encounters. Like we had an encounter with a giant buck with a brody and i had still hunted an area found her just a couple mega buck beds and found this little pinch that they were working right between um where they were feeding into that bed and we went in there on the best morning day had a we're super fired up and sure enough there were three shooter bucks one of which was just an absolute toad coming right at the bedding area and long story short we watched them for quite a while and they eventually got spooked by something and they, they ran. And at the time, and, and Jake was observing from a long distance away. He was way up on the hill, like three quarters of a mile away. We could just barely see him up there. He was just observing to see, you know, if the deer were actually using a different area. Mm-hmm. And that buck ran. And when that buck ran, he ran right past Jake, like 20 yards past him. And from our perspective, it looked like Jake had spooked the buck. And in hindsight, we watched all the footage back. A coyote or something had to have spooked him because he was looking in the total opposite direction of where we were and where and where um, Jake was. Right. Like there was no spooking of from our – well, and then he ran right towards Jake. But the last thing I see is this huge buck running up the hill. And I was like, oh, no. Like something happened. Like I don't, and I don't know what happened. Next thing I see is Jake running down the hill and the buck running in front of him. And I'm thinking Jake's chasing after this buck. Well, <laughs> <laughs> for like for like an hour until I got back to him because we had no cell phone service or whatever. We were just like meeting back at the truck and we had a long hike out of there. I'm like, I'm thinking Jake has just totally busted this whole thing. Well, in hindsight, like I said, a coyote must 
spooked him or something. But he ended up, he ended up, uh, we ended up watching the footage back and realizing something else and went wrong. But it was just a hilarious moment where we thought Jake had spooked this buck and we were like pretty frustrated at him. But ended up going into a different spot and our whole plan was just to wind bump an area. And um, basically with a wind bump, we're going in and we're straight up blowing a bedding area out by scent. Mm-hmm. You know, one guy is just kind of still hunting through the bedding area letting the scent drift through it. And when we were doing that, I was pushing towards Jake and Brody and we've had it work in the past and we do it a lot during the gun seasons, that wind bump. But Mm -hmm. we, when I was doing that, I got to this deep, not a deep corner. I guess it was actually a spot right off the road, a little overlooked place. It's this really thick bedding area. And when I got in there, I saw all kinds of buck beds, fresh rubs in them. You know, they've obviously just shed their, shed their velvet. So, there's tons and tons of fresh rubs that I know that are from like just that week and, um, ended up bumping a buck out of the bedding area and he went the wrong way. But we went back in there a couple of days later and we hunted it two days in a row. And on the second to last morning ended up having what we believe that same buck come right back in to like 10 yards shot him at point blank. And that was a spot that was overlooked. Right off the road, we were, I ranged the road. It was like 220 yards off the road. Nice. So it was just an area that I don't think a lot of people have hunted. But you could tell, actually, somebody had sat in the same tree as us many years ago. There was a there's a branch you could tell had been cut by somebody a long time ago. But, right. you know, it was just one of those spots that not a lot of people were going into. And not a lot of people were surely not bow hunting it at that time frame. Right. And that... that when we, when that arrow hit home, the, 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 I guess the whole process and the whole, the three of us working together to put that, the, the pieces together on that was just like kind of a feeling I don't know that I've ever really had, you know, it was right. pretty awesome. And, and, you know, it was, it was our buck, you know, it wasn't right. my buck, it was our buck. And that was special to me because. It was kind of a turning point in, I guess, all of our lives to a certain degree. You know, we were, didn't really know what was next, and we went on a whim, and we figured it out, and it, we were really, really proud of that. And That's awesome. It's, you know, definitely not the biggest buck in, that I've ever shot, but that doesn't matter. It's not the size of the buck that makes the hunt, you know? Right. It was all the things that, that, uh, that, you know, took place beforehand and we finally figured it out and, you know, just the sense of joy that we had and, and relief that we finally put it together was unmatched, I guess. Right. But, well, dude, getting, just watching him run after the deer would have been, would have been enough. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, 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 I'm thinking of that in my mind, like I'm watching it, I'm watching it happen and I'm just, I'm, I would just oh, like, dude, from, what the hell is that fool doing running after oh, that deer? Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, we were so, Brody and I were like, well, what the hell is he doing? Like, and then, you know, we watched him back. And like I said, we figured out that like, well, and what he was doing, why he was running was he was trying to figure out where they were going, right. which was, which was good. Right. But like, it was just really funny. Like from our perspective, it was just this really screwball thing, but yeah, <laughs> nice. that was a pretty hilarious, right, so, hilarious. And it was up full of ups and downs on that trip. And it was really good, you know, for the way you wanted to go almost. Right. So what's the, uh, so what's the second one? What's the, uh, what's the, so what's the, the numero dos? 
So the second one is, you know, this turkey season's been really good, and uh, we've we've been able to knock down a lot of birds, and actually went to Ohio to my to my uh, home state and got to hunt with two of my best friends, and and we really knocked them out there in Ohio, and you know, pretty much had the best week of turkey hunting in Ohio we've ever had by a long shot. And we turned around, or I turned around and went to New York for a few days and hunted with a friend. And I struggled so bad there that, like, I I have my tag tagged up in my room above my bed, so I have to look at it for the next year because I can't <laughs> live with myself for just not even really, like, took the last morning to really be in the game. And I think that, you know, I really enjoy the aspect of, you know, having motivation for the next time. And right. I think that, you know, it's it's a... It's a simple thing, you know, you're not going to have success on every trip, but I think just having that anticipation and having that drive for the next time right. is important to me. So nice. I think, uh, I think just having a little bit of motivation to, to keep learning is, is a big deal because I think sometimes it is easy to get content with what you know. And when you run into something that you don't know and you, you had a hard time figuring out, it's like, okay, I got to get back to the drawing board and really, really uh figure out what you know what the things that i could have done differently are you know maybe the next time i'll have success either but you know as long as i feel like i've improved that's right. the main thing and i i always say you learn more from your mistakes than your success 100 percent believe that and i believe that in all aspects of life you know you don't learn from the things that you did right yeah and not as much at least as the things that you've done wrong yeah i I should be I should be wise beyond my years. Then at this point is how I kind of feel about it. <laughs> how I feel about that. I will say this though, man, that y'all show um, the hunting public. It's you guys do a great job of kind of bringing the list or the, the viewers in and and you know providing you know lessons along the way. And you know I think what you guys are doing is awesome. You know it's like I enjoy watching it. My daughter sits down on the couch and watches it with me. I'll throw it on on Apple TV, throw some YouTube on in the evenings and and watch some turkey hunts, watch you in a ghillie suit from now, you know, every, every now and then. And, uh, it's, uh, it, what you guys are doing is awesome. You know, I, I wish you, you know, continued success with that. But before, uh, I let you go, if you wouldn't mind, man, let, uh, let folks out there listening know where they can find out more about you, more about the hunting public and so forth. Well, you can check us out, um, on YouTube. That's where most of our content is. We're also on the, uh, Amazon platform. You can watch it on there. Um, we're also on Facebook as the hunting public and Instagram as the hunting public. And we all have, you know, our own, I guess, Instagram pages too, just our names and stuff like that. So, um, you know, go over and give those things a follow. It really helps us out and, you know, just become part of the community. I guess that's the main thing we, we try we do our best to, you know, communicate with everybody that's viewing, commenting, you know, anything like that. And our main goal is just to learn together as a group. You know, we don't have all the answers and nobody really does. So it's always good to get others' opinions and hunt as a, hunt as a team, I guess. And the best way to do that we've, we've found is, you know, through, through the social pro- platforms that we're on and we feel like things are going well and we appreciate all the support. Awesome, man. Hey, thanks for coming on, dude. I appreciate it. This was awesome. We got to do a part two at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. I'd be more than happy. Thanks for having me on. You bet, man. Thanks. 
All right, folks, that is a wrap. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to Zach for coming on the show. Be sure to check out the Hunting Public YouTube page and give Zach a follow on Instagram. Awesome dude, and looking forward to having him back on. A bit of housekeeping here before I let you all go first. If you haven't, be sure to uh, check out podcast number 62 for a chance to win a Trophy Ridge React site. I'll be picking the winner one week from today to announce on May 30th, so check that out. Also, there will be a new section of the Truth From The Stand website uh, launching soon. If you've been following me on Instagram, you've probably noticed that I've been playing around with some domestic beetles, and I'll be doing some skull cleaning and European mounts this fall. So all the info will be on the site, and uh, hit me up if you'd like for me to give you a hand with your uh, with your next harvest. And if you haven't, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating, uh, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast uh, that would be super cool. You'll want to make sure that these are all delivered to your mobile devices as we'll be doing some uh, additional giveaways with Exodus here in the near future for Velvet Fest. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecumani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, and Trophy Taker Rests. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.